The reading this evening is from Genesis chapter 21, which can be found on page 21 of the Burgundy Bibles in front of you. Genesis chapter 21, beginning at the bottom right of that page on verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and to the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness I have shown to you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who's done this. You didn't tell me, and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug the well. So that place was called Beersheba, because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the Eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Thanks, Chris, very much. Um, I think we'd better pray, don't you? Let's, uh, let's do that now. Uh, Father, I, I guess there'll be many folks here who uh, thought, as I did when I first read that passage, uh, what on earth is that about? And uh, we pray, Father, by your Spirit, in our hearts and our minds, you'd illuminate these words uh, that, uh, by the Spirit, you inspired And please, Lord, would you uh, help us to see uh, the picture of what you're trying to, or what you are communicating to us through your word this evening. For Jesus' sake, amen. So it's uh, page 21 and 22 of Genesis. And it was in September 1928 when a bacteriologist at Samira's Hospital in Paddington returned from his summer holidays in Scotland uh, to find that mould had contaminated his Petri dishes. And as a good bacteriologist would do, he uh, examined the mould under his microscope. And he was amazed to find that the mould was preventing normal growth of the Staphylococcus bacteria, which he would, had been growing. Uh, doctor, later Sir Alexander Fleming, had discovered penicillin. And as he would write later on, uh, he wrote this. When I woke up just after dawn on September the 28th, 1928, 
I certainly didn't plan to revolutionize all medicine by discovering the world's first antibiotic or bacteria killer. But I guess that was exactly what I did. One apparently simple discovery that revolutionized medicine and has since saved millions of lives. Simply wonderful. Well, this evening, as we look at uh, Genesis chapter 21 and verses 22 to 34 here, um, I guess at most it looks like a Monday morning at work in a solicitor's. Say you're at the solicitors and uh, uh, there's been a bit of a dispute about boundaries with a property that you're doing the conveyancing for. And uh, both parties are kind and courteous. It's going to be easy to sort out. You've just got to do the donkey work. But to be honest, it's a little bit tedious, a bit boring. And when we look at Genesis 21, this last section here, you think, well, the last part of Genesis 1, the birth of Isaac, 21, I mean, that was uh, that was all right, cope with that one. And the next bit, when Abraham gets tested and be told to sacrifice his son, that's okay, and cope with that. But what about this bit here? What's all this about? And um, it is just a minor border dispute. So why have we got this in the Bible? I mean, it's, it's all a bit boring, isn't it? Now, when I started working on this, it's probably about three weeks ago now, and uh, I thought, well, there really must be a good reason for this being in the Bible. But to be honest with you, I couldn't work it out. And uh, and I think, well, actually, God inspired this, and he must have inspired this for a reason. Please, Lord, would you help me, me to see this? There must be some unique thing here, which God wants to teach us about himself, about his dealings with the world. And uh, uh, there must be something here which is going to help us live for him tomorrow morning. Lord, please, what is this? Well, we see here, um, as we're thinking, here we are, as a little title, Monday Morning God. Well, we see this because uh, uh, here in Genesis 21, it is just a minor dispute. But actually, there's something bigger going on. There's a, uh, it's a bit like... Um, uh, you know, something bigger than, than what you imagine. It's a bit like when someone comes back from a holiday and finds mold in his Petri dishes. But actually here, there's something really big happening, just like it was when Alexander Fleming uh, discovered penicillin. Now, if we're going to pull back and get the big picture here, uh, I hope we'll see there's something really rather big going on. You see, it's rather like one of these things. Can you see the picture within the picture? Can you see zebras there? And see anything else? Yeah, there's a line there at all. That one's very straightforward. I've got a dodgy eye, so I haven't got a clue with this one. Is there a picture within a picture there? Because I can't see it. No, I can't see it. I know, I've, I've spent a long time looking at that. I can't see it. But anyway, um, but the idea is, you see, let's go back to this one because it's easier. All right. Now, with that one there, there is a picture within a picture. Okay. You think you're looking at a lion and then you find some zebras or you think that you're looking at some zebras and then you see a lion. Well, here you think we've got a minor, uh, a minor little dispute about a treaty, but actually there's something much bigger going on. That's what we're thinking about this evening. And, uh, uh, and the first of all, though, let's, um, let's pass, let's bypass that one. That's confusing, not necessary. Okay. So let's dispense with that one. So Monday morning, God, let's find out, first of all, a bit about Abimelech. Now, he's in there in Genesis chapter 20, 
You see that Genesis 20 is, is headed, Abraham and Abimelech. And in verse 2 there, verse 17, verse 18, uh, he's there in, ch- in chapter 20. Look at verse 2, for instance. This is when Abraham uh, said of his wife Sarah, she's my sister. Yeah, right, okay, Abraham. And then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. That is to be his wife. Uh, but then what happens was um, uh, Abimelech's whole family, a uh, whole wider family there, uh, everything went wrong for them. And in verse 17 of chapter 20, Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. We actually, if you're making notes, uh, Abimelech comes up again in chapter 26 and verses 1 and 26. But here, he's the king of Gerar, right? That is the land of the Philistines. If you think of the promised land, then the land of the Philistines is kind of to the west and a bit to the south uh, of of the promised land. And Abraham, if you look in verse 23 of chapter 21... Uh, verse 23 there, it says he's a, he, he's a, he's a foreigner. Look at the end. Show, this is Abimelech speaking. Show me in the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness that I have shown to you. So Abraham's a foreigner there, um, but clearly uh, Abimelech um, respects um, or perhaps even fears Abraham. Now why is that? Now maybe it's because of what happened in chapter 20. That uh, uh, because of Abraham and, and uh, Abimelech taking Sarah uh, to be his wife, um, uh, and maybe because of what happened to them and so on, and Abraham prayed for them, maybe that is the respect, and that is why he's uh, he's treating Abraham so well there. Um, so because Abraham, he hadn't actually been completely truthful with Abimelech. You know, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Don't think so, Abraham. And uh, and then you see here that Abraham had a, a lot of people with him. When Abraham is moving, he's like a small town on the move. And so perhaps he was also a bit of a threat to Abimelech there. But so you've got here, you've got two guys who are potential enemies. On the one side, you've got Abimelech who has been wronged, lied to, half lied to by Abraham on the one side. And then you've got Abraham here himself. Okay, You've got a guy here who's settled as the king of Gerar. That's his land. And you've got Abraham who's a, who's a kind of a migrant, like a flock of starlings going around the place. And he's got loads of people with him. Uh, and and actually you've got Abimelech here who's actually seeing Abraham possibly as a threat, possibly actually with great respect because of Abraham's, the effect of Abraham's prayers over him. Um, and uh, and what they do is they agree a real proper treaty together. In fact, the Hebrew words written in, uh, uh, in Hebrew uh, and the base there means to swear or seven. So if you look at the bottom of page 22, um, and you look in verse 31 there, and it says, so that place is called Beersheba. Then there's a little letter D. Look at the bottom. Beersheba can mean well of seven or well of the oath. So uh, you've got these guys who have made an oath with each other. They've made a treaty. And as a result of that, Abraham plants a tamarisk tree. And uh, uh, a tamarisk is just a small local tree, um, but it marks the spot where the treaty was made. It's all pretty small. It all seems pretty insignificant. They've, they're two guys. They could, uh, they could kind of have a bit of a dispute with each other. They get on. It's okay. They form a treaty. Uh, end of story. And what happens is Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, uh, verse 32, return to the land of the Philistines. All very nice. A non-aggression treaty. So what is it all about? 
What's it got to say to us now? What's it got to say to, to us tomorrow morning, Monday morning, God? I think this is actually of huge significance. I think this is telling us it's a pointer. It's a, it's, what this is saying is this is a, this is, it's the picture behind the picture. Okay. If you saw the zebras first, the lion is more important here. Okay. Uh, if, for instance, you saw the lions first, the zebras are more important. There's something here which is going to come out of this passage for us, which I think is seriously important. That's a bit of a long introduction. Here are the two things that are coming out. Here's the first one. God protects his promises. I wonder how good you are at keeping your promises. And what do you do to protect your promises so that you can keep them? About uh, 30 years ago, I think it was on Tuesday evening, um, Anna and I had uh, a call. We're living in Tunbridge Wells at the time. And we had a call from a friend of mine called Dick, who was a curate in Eastbourne. And he said, "Uh, Phil, are you okay? I said, "Uh, yeah, we're fine, thanks. How are you? Uh, He said, "Uh, yeah, fine, but um, um, uh, I thought that you and Anna were coming to dinner before the meeting tonight. And uh, uh, we're about to dish up. And I'd completely forgotten it. Uh, very embarrassing. I mean, he was fine about it, but uh, very embarrassing. I've just completely forgotten to put it in my diary. And uh, uh, now I don't think I've ever done that since. But there may be a cure at the door of people to tell me that I have done it many times since. But, uh, um, but you know, got to, you've got to write it. Oh, I've got to write it in my diary. Otherwise, I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to forget um, but, it, but to put things in my diary, here's my diary in here, it helps me to keep my promises. Now here in Genesis chapter 22, God is keeping and protecting his promise. Now his promise to Abraham, on the one hand, is a promise of land. We've seen that. Back in chapter 12 and verse 7, God promises Abraham a land. And then God also promised Abraham, chapter 12 again and verse 2, he promised Abraham descendants, and he repeats that in chapter 15 and verse 5. So there are, there are twin promises there from God to Abraham. I'm going to give you a land, and I'm going to give you descendants. And here, he is protecting that promise. He's making sure he's going to keep it. So first of all, the promise to Abraham. The promise to Abraham. Now, I don't know about you, but it's quite easy for us, isn't it, to think, well, Abraham's life was pretty much smooth sailing, really. It was okay. A bit, you know, but, but actually, no, it wasn't. It was full of ups and downs, joys, yes, but difficulties too. And, uh, this is just a small little problem on a Monday morning. Um, but Abimelech is almost putty in Abraham's hands here. And this was his land. This was Abimelech's place. It was his land. Um, and he could have been awkward. And he could have said, no, actually, I'm keeping the land. And I know you dug the well, Abraham, but it's my land, and I'm keeping the well as well. And wells were important because no well, no water. No water, your animals die. And Abraham was a wandering pastoralist. He had loads and loads and loads of sheep and possibly a few other cattle and things like that. The fact that they uh, make an agreement... And then uh, he goes off back to the land of the Philistines, verses 32 and 34. I think it's showing us that God is at work protecting his promises to give Abraham the land and to give Abraham these descendants. You've got to see the big picture. So God is protecting his promises. God has promised those things to Abraham. And through Abimelech, he's making sure those promises are going to come true. Second thing here is God keeps his promises to us. Over this summer, we've seen many wildfires, haven't we, in, in, uh, in various places. 
And several years ago, National Geographic magazine, you know, that yellow one that you see on old people's coffee tables. And uh, uh, they, they had an article about a wildfire in the Yellowstone National Park over in the States. And then after it was safe for the rangers to, uh, to go into the park and to begin to assess the damage, they began to trek through the park. And one of them found a petrified bird in the ashes at the base of a tree. Still clearly a bird, but it had been burnt to death in the fire. Uh, and he touched this bird with a stick and it fell over. But out from underneath this bird scurried three chicks, tiny chicks. And they were alive. And it seemed that what had happened was that the mum had taken her chicks to the base of the tree and protected them from the smoke and from the flames by keeping them under her wings. She could have flown away to safety, but because she was willing to die for those chicks, they survived and survived they did. Now we know as Christian people that our Lord Jesus endured the fire of the cross, the fire of God's wrath on the cross. And there's no problems about talking about God's wrath, because our God has got wrath against human sinfulness. And he endured that fire of God's wrath, so God could make and keep his promises to us. His promises that if we believe in Jesus, then eternal life is ours now. And his promises that all who believe in Jesus are bound for heaven for eternity. You see, Christianity is about promises. Abraham is, is like the, uh, uh, the prototype in some ways. Uh, he's a guy who has promised the people and the land. And Christianity, God promises a people and a land. The people is God's people, the Christian church, the land. Our promised land is heaven. It's not a physical land of Canaan. Our promised land is heaven. And the promised people were following Abraham. He was leading them. And they were being a people of faith. And uh, we are hoping in our promised land, our sure and certain destination when we die. The guy through whom I became a Christian, Mark Ashton, he died a few years ago of, uh, uh, of cancer. Who's 62, my age. And as he lay dying, in the last few hours of his life, with his family around his bedside, he kept on saying, almost there, almost home. Struggling to speak, but he kept on saying, almost heaven, almost there, nearly home. Those just little two-word sentences just kept on coming out. But that is our hope, isn't it? That is our promise. That was Mark's focus for his life. He knew he was going to heaven. And that is a picture within the picture here of God protecting his promise to Abraham. It's a picture of God, too, protecting his promise to us. You believe, you'll be one of his people. You believe, you have your promised land. It's called heaven. So first, God protects his promises. That should encourage us. That should help us tomorrow morning. That should change our worldview tomorrow. This isn't just a story about a couple of guys having a treaty and, well, let's move on because the sisters are dealing with it. This is talking about our future and our eternity. And that's got to change our view of life tomorrow morning. Second thing is this. God provides for his people in time and in eternity. 
Now you can see it happening in time for Abraham and you can see that working its way through and working out in time, in eternity for us. And it is a natural thing for a good father to want to provide for his family, isn't it? And that's what Abraham did. And that was just in the news this week. I saw it to a, a dad who was in the situation. I, I, I didn't quite catch up with the situation and what it was. But it, there was some change in the rules for benefits or, uh, or, or something along those kind of lines. And as he was being interviewed on the television, he was in tears. And he said this, I just want to provide for my family. And of course he does. I believe that inbuilt desire on behalf of dads to provide for their family, that comes from God, who is a God who provides for his people, for his family, for eternity. So we're thinking about here, the God who provides for his people in time. Now Abraham has been promised the land. And that land is no good without the well. Verse 30. Have a look at verse 30 here. Except these seven lambs from my land is a witness that I dug this well. That's Abraham saying that. And then you see what's, uh, what happened earlier on. That uh, He says, look, there's a bit of a problem. Look at verse 25. He complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. Abraham dug it. Abimelech's servants nicked it, basically. And, uh, uh, and it's valuable property. He probably thought it was theirs. And at the end of the treaty, look at what happens in verse 34. Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. That means years and years and years. And how do you do that with all the flocks and everything that Abraham's got? If there's no water, if there's no well, that well is absolutely fundamental. You know the wind farm off the coast here? Uh, Rampion wind farm, isn't it? When you're up on the downs, I was up on the downs uh, just the other day, and uh, when you're up there and, on, as a, and it's clear, it's hard to believe that a Rampion wind farm is actually eight miles off the coast. It takes 40 minutes to get there on a fast boat. I mean, when you look through binoculars or something, you think, oh, I can paddle out there in a kayak in about 10 minutes, but uh, it's not going to happen. But you see, that foreshortening of distances, that's how God looks at time. From our perspective, it's telescoped. And our passage today probably covers about 15 years. When it says Abraham stayed in, uh, uh, stayed there for a long time in the land of the Philistines for a long time, um, it's at least it's at least 15 years. It may be way longer than that. It's a long time, and God provided for His people all through that time. And for us, that may mean that we've got to learn patience. And that we've got to learn trust and an ongoing trust that God will provide. Sometimes that's going to mean we might have to slow down and wait for the Lord and learn to trust him. Uh, we had to trust him and, and wait when we moved here. When we moved here 14 years ago, Johnny and Ben were uh, just due to go into year six. And uh, in those days, Aldrington was a one-form entry school. Uh, so we went to see Mike G, who was then the head. And he said, well, you haven't got any places in year six. It's full up. And uh, frankly, there's, uh, you know, I think it's unlikely. You're not going to just get one. But if you're asking for two places in a class that's, that's full up and going into year six, that's pretty unlikely. But Mike said, don't worry, pray, because things have a habit, habit of working. So we did. 
Uh, and um, But then a little while later, many months later, as we waited and waited, uh, we thought, well, maybe there ought to be a, a plan B. So uh, I think it was an email. I sent Mike an email. And I said, don't, don't suppose there's any news? Because it's getting a bit late in the day, and we've probably got to make alternative arrangements. And uh, and he, he replied straight away. And he said, uh, funny you should send the email today, Phil, because that was on the Tuesday, I think it was. Um, because uh, yesterday... Not one, but two families in the current year five class, in other words, the ones that Johnny and Ben were going into, have told me that they're moving away and they're going to be taking their children out of the school. You haven't got one place in year six. You've got two. But you've got to wait. You've got to be patient. You've got to keep on praying. Now, of course, it doesn't always work like that, does it? But it was, uh, And that was a test for our faith and our patience. What do you want God to provide for you and your family and your friends? What are you waiting for? What are you praying for? Somewhere to live? Someone in our church needs a car. Actually, there are two people in our church family who need a car. You got a car that you're selling? Do you prepared, be prepared to give it to them? Could you be the answer to their prayer? Or maybe you're recovering from an operation that's going rather more slowly than uh, you'd like it to. Or maybe one of your children need a job. Or maybe, oh, there are lots of things, aren't there? But we see here that God does provide for his people according to his promises. He meets needs. They're not always the same as wants, but God meets our needs. And we praise him for it. And then God also provides for his people, not just in time. But then finally we see he provides for his people in eternity. Verse 33 here, I think it's really important. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree, one of the little local trees in Beersheba. Um, it's a rather insignificant kind of tree, really. Never got very big. And there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. Now, in the Old Testament, there are lots of names for God, uh, which emphasize different aspects of his character. Here, the eternal God. Actually, he's not called that anywhere else in Genesis. Isn't that interesting? God the everlasting, the unchanging, the dependable God. The God who has always been there for you. The God who you are able to rely on because he's not going to change and he will be there in the future, in time and in eternity because he's eternal. And Abraham, see what he's doing? Look at verse 33. There he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. Now, I suspect that was a pretty serious prayer session, wouldn't you? I, it wasn't just a little kind of arrow prayer, you know. It wasn't a little kind of, oh, couple of me, it was just maybe a couple of minutes. Yeah, of course it wasn't. There was some serious stuff going on there between Abraham and God, wasn't there? I guess there was a serious time of thanksgiving. There was a serious time of praise. I guess Abraham was probably confessing his sins to God. He was praying to God. He was committing himself to God. Basically had a time with God and probably... Sounds to me like it was a long time with God. You ever thought of doing that? Having a retreat? How about a retreat? What about the women's retreat next year? Let's get it fully booked. Well, it's always fully booked. So book in early for the women's retreat for next year, especially if you're a woman. And, uh, um, but, it, but have you thought of going on a retreat? It'd be a good thing to do, wouldn't it? To deliberately spend time a way to focus on your life and your relationship with God. 
or at least a couple of hours up on the downs, God and you, don't take your phone, just take your Bible, make sure it's not going to tip it down with rain, maybe take a Christian book and spend time with God, thinking, reading, praying, engaging with God, worshipping him uh, there, or wherever's the best place for you. Some people prefer to be down by the sea or, or whatever it would be. Um, maybe you need to put time in your diary to do that. Maybe you might need to wait till September and the children are back at school. Um, make time to ponder our eternal God. And of course, our God provides for his people in eternity. It's called heaven, isn't it? And it is beyond our wildest dreams. Well, this passage looks like Monday morning in a place which became known as Beersheba. But the picture within the picture is huge, isn't it? Because it just tells us and reminds us that our God, our wonderful God, protects his promises. So he will keep them. And if you've committed yourself to him, he will get you to heaven. And it shows us as well that God provides for his people, both in time and also for eternity. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that this passage that we've looked at tonight uh, would help us and encourage us as we seek to live for you this week. Maybe just a very ordinary week coming up, maybe a very special week if you're going off to Woolley this coming week. But Lord, we pray that you would remind us as we think of Abraham and Abimelech and a tamarisk tree and a bit of an argument and a debate and a treaty about a well. Pray, Lord, that you would just remind us that you always protect your promises and provide for your people both in time and in eternity.